0: Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. February 4th, 1920. A farmer in the South Elkhorn community finds a satchel and a jacket in the cornfields. Little did he know at the time, That find would lead to a series of events that would forever be etched in Lexington's history. The items belonged to a 10-year-old girl, Geneva Hardman. She had been walking to school when she was taken into the fields and brutally killed. Her murder and the man that would stand trial would hold Lexington and the nation in fascination for years to come. 100 years later, questions are still asked about what actually happened that morning and about the events that would transpire in the days following. Local historian and attorney Peter Brackney recently released a book detailing the story of Geneva Hardman and her family. In The Murder of Geneva Hardman and Lexington's Mob Riot of 1920, he shares insights from her family that paint a fuller picture of the sweet 10-year-old girl that was adored by a tight-knit family. Peter Brackney also details the legal aspect of the investigation, the speedy trial, and sentencing as only an attorney can. We are happy to welcome him back to the podcast as we discuss his book and the inspiration behind it. Thank you for joining us, Peter, for the podcast. Glad to be here. I wanted to start off the podcast by talking a little bit about Geneva, the girl, and her family. It seems you had a lot of insight into the family. Can you share what you found during your research?
1: Yeah, it was really neat. I had the opportunity to sit down with Geneva's great niece, Anne, and with that, was able to learn a little bit more about the family history. When you look at the the overall story of Geneva Hardman and the trial of Lockett, Geneva is really a footnote. Yeah. And so I wanted to delve a little bit more into who she was and what her background was. Mm-hmm. So she was a 10-year-old little girl who was born in Clark County. And then when she was very young, they actually moved to... Breckenridge County oh. in the kind of south of Louisville area, mm-hmm. and they were only there for one season, and then they moved to Fayette County. Okay. Her father passed away when she was two, and so mom was left behind with. There were six children total, okay. and I guess probably about three or four of them were still pretty young to have in the house yeah. when when dad died, mm-hmm. and so you look at how the family persevered through that. One of the brothers of Geneva, mm-hmm. was a, a well-to-do farmer mm-hmm. in Lexington in Fayette County. And so she moved onto some land that he owned mm-hmm. and then she purchased some land herself, okay but sold that land and relocated again to land that he owned just a few months before Geneva died. So that's how they ended up in the South Elkhorn neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And this is Southern Fayette County?
1: Southern Fayette County. So South Elkhorn is out Harrodsburg Road, kind of where Higby Mill joins Harrodsburg Road, Military Pike, that area.
0: Oh, okay. So what inspired you to delve into the story of Geneva Hardman and the subsequent events that happened after her murder. You know, your previous book was about the architecture of Lexington. What about this topic interested you?
1: It was always a story that really interested me. When I first read John D Wright's Heart of Lexington, several years ago, that was a story that there was a short snippet on what took place, and it kind of grabbed me a little bit. And I go to South Elkhorn Christian Church, okay. that's my home church, mm-hmm. and that's actually the church where Geneva's family attended, and that's where her funeral was held. So. I became involved with the love of history. I Mm -hmm. naturally was tapped to uh, kind of delve into the church history a little bit and was looking through the minutes of of the church and actually found the resolution that was expressing the sympathy to the family for their loss. And so there were just several different things that kind of led me towards the interest in learning more about Geneva. Mm -hmm. Also, when I was a young lawyer and clerking, my mentor would, we would take walks around around Lexington and around downtown, and I'd learn some other stories from him. Mm-hmm. And one of them was about the pockmarks on the old courthouse steps from where the Mob and the guardsmen exchanged fire, mm. and that resulted in you know some a little bit of damage there to the courthouse. Mm. But that was still visible reminders of what took place a hundred years ago. It was never fixed. It was never until fixed the reno- until the recent the renovations. renovations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those steps are all fresh new concrete. So mm. those are that little bit of lost lost history there. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about Geneva's family. What was her day-to-day life, like going to school?
1: She went to the South Helcorn Schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. It was a, a rural schoolhouse that would have had children of all ages. It was a farming community, and mm-hmm. her family was a family of farmers. They seemed to be a successful farming family based on the amount of acreage that they owned and some other transactions that they were engaged in, but mm-hmm. they were they were farmers. The little schoolhouse that she attended is actually also still standing. Wow. And it's been converted a few decades ago into a private residence. Oh, okay. When Lexington Schools and Fayette County Schools merged several decades ago. It was obviously no longer yeah. a, a needed. Uh, we we our, our schools are a little bit larger than one-room schoolhouses <laughs> yes. now. So her family again she had uh, five siblings and mm-hmm. so she was the youngest. Okay. When she passed away, she had a sister living in louisville she had a brother who lived in lexington a brother that lived in winchester Mm -hmm. and then she also had a sister and two younger brothers that lived with her at home still with and
0: in your book you have a a letter that geneva had written to Mm -hmm. her sister and i thought it was really sweet you know the handwritten note of a 10 year old girl
1: her brother and her mother had gone to town uh, and this the letter was written 11 days before she was murdered and it was written to her sister that lived in louisville in it she talked about how her brother had brought her back some candy from from town from the store so it yeah. was sweet
0: can you talk to us a little bit about that fateful day
1: so on february 4th 1920 and actually we're recording this today on february 4th 2020 mm-hmm. 100 years to the day yeah. from when she perished it was about 7 30 in the morning when she would have left her home which is roughly where dogwood trace neighborhood is mm-hmm. today and she would have been heading north on what was then harrodsburg pike mm-hmm. towards the schoolhouse which is about four tenths, half a mile away yeah. About 15 minutes later, is likely when when she perished, it was around that time that Speed Collins, who was another farmer in the community, mm-hmm. found a satchel, okay. uh, her school satchel, that was laying on the side of the road. And so thinking, oh, she must have dropped it on her way to school, mm-hmm. he picked it up and took it to the schoolhouse where Mrs. Young, the school teacher, realized that Geneva was not there. So mm-hmm. she dispatched a couple of the students to go with mr. Collins back to Geneva's home and it was there that the mother realized that her daughter had not made it to school nor had she returned home and so a search was begun and so again she left school at 730 and according to news accounts and different things by 830 in the morning Geneva's body was back at home after that the news quickly spread Mm -hmm. of what had taken place and there was a couple of general stores in the South Elkhorn neighborhood and at one of them there had been a sighting of an individual who had been by earlier that mm-hmm. morning, bef- before 7.30, presumably. And that was a man identified as Will Lockett. And uh, Lockett actually lived in Jessamine County at that time. He was a laborer on a farm on mm-hmm. Catnip Hill Road. Yeah.
0: So just across the border. Just, just a
1: little past, but just into Jessamine County. Mm-hmm. So a search was begun mm-hmm. for Lockett as as the initial suspect. Okay. And, of course, a, a search for an African-American suspect in 1920 mm-hmm. has two facets. One is the law that is after him, mm-hmm. and the other is those seeking quick revenge. Mm-hmm. And And it was a lynch mob that was really after him.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was a basically a race, a race was, to who was going to catch him first.
1: It was a race to see who would catch him. And so it was about... Again, 8.30 perhaps when when all of that started in the morning. He was caught at 4.30 Mm -hmm. that afternoon in Dixontown, which is a small African-American enclave just south of Keene, which Mm -hmm. is in Jessamine County. So it was a long track of tracking him by those two groups. Mm-hmm. And they weren't two groups. There were lots of little groups that were, yeah. were working on the hunt as well. One of those searching was Captain Mulliken of the Lexington Police Department, who was a famous houndsman. He would train hounds to hunt and to find suspects. Mm-hmm. And he was considered one of the top houndsmen in United States so much so that the Cuban government hired him to find girl warriors in their country at one point so he really had developed an international reputation and so he was on the hunt following the scent toward the accused
0: and it led him to
1: and it led him to where Lockett was Uh, it was actually two other individuals who initially came across Mm -hmm. Lockett it was a police officer and a doctor, both from Woodford County, from mm-hmm. Versailles, that first found Lockett, and they got him into a vehicle and transported him back down to the the police department, where he, where Lockett was interrogated, mm-hmm. and ultimately confessed to the crime.
0: And he was interrogated at this time. I mean, was there any Miranda rights? Was he represented by a lawyer? No,
1: or? Miranda was uh, was far off at this point. <laughs> and while there was a right to counsel in trial, there was no pretrial right to counsel. And so he was without any any legal representation at this point he had no right to say i demand to speak with a lawyer these were not not privileges that would have been afforded to him at that time
0: will lockett is captured people have already assumed that he's done it he did confess can you talk to us a little bit about the public reaction
1: so the initial reaction there was really two sides of of reaction one was an attempt towards getting quick justice Mm -hmm. and 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 the lynch mob still had that desire and that thirst and there were some that reacted wanting justice in the term of the court system mm-hmm. to be able to take its course. And so those were really competing values uh, at mm-hmm. that point as to which, one, uh,
0: so the law which order, one would succeed. Law and order versus the, the mob. Versus
1: the mob. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we can't look back and know whether Will Lockett was ultimately guilty, mm-hmm. whether he actually committed the crime. But fortunately, law and order did at least prevail, but not with a few hiccups along the way.
0: The mob collecting outside the jail was out for blood. Essentially, they wanted him. They wanted to lynch him.
1: Right. So that And that was the mob. That was kind of the last event of, of that February 4th was the jail search. Mm-hmm. So about 8.30 p.m. Well, step back. Around 5.40 p.m. on February 4th, mm-hmm. Frank Bullock, who was the judge then judge executive of Fayette Mm -hmm. County, requested that an order that Lockett be removed from the jail Mm -hmm. and be sent to the state reformatory in Frankfurt. And so that's where the state really became involved in what went on. A few hours later, around 8.30, Mm the jail itself was searched by a committee of the mob to see if lockett was there the jailer obviously was more than happy to allow the admission <laughs> uh, given that their concern was not there that they would be able to take anyone which was which was good
0: subsequently the trial was set for the next day
1: trial was set for the monday so monday. the murder occurred on a wednesday uh-huh. lockett was indicted on thursday mm-hmm. geneva's funeral was on friday mm-hmm and then Monday was was the trial.
0: How long did that trial last?
1: Trial lasted about 38 minutes or so.
0: And in that time, there was still that mob outside. There was
1: still a mob outside. So when Lexington awoke the Monday morning of the trial, mm-hmm. there was cable that had been hung around the courthouse to mm-hmm. keep the, the mob that was expected away. Yeah. There were machine guns that were set up to deter anyone from a- approaching the, the courthouse it would have looked a lot different than Lexingtonians would normally recognize the courthouse <laughs> oh, yes. uh, then or now yeah. you know you think probably only those that would have remembered at that point mm-hmm. the civil war and, yeah. and seeing camp troops and that type of thing would have anything even similar to mm-hmm. to recall but the the mob then then did form mm-hmm. and and surrounded the courthouse Official business was still going on. Obviously the trial was going on. There's one small anecdote that was in the book of a young couple from northern Kentucky who had come down to, uh, to elope and be married. <laughs> And they arrive and mm-hmm. well there's all these people at, at their <laughs> wedding and uh, they are admitted in they get their marriage license and they uh, they get out
0: <laughs> quickly <laughs> quickly
1: uh, which was good because what came next was a tragedy.
0: Geneva's older brother did write an appeal for the public
1: he did and and that was written and published in both The Herald and in the leader and that was again mm-hmm. there's there was two sides mm-hmm. there was those seeking vengeance mm-hmm. and those seeking law and order it was interesting and good to see the brother of the victim wanting to see justice yes. and, and wanting peace to prevail
0: so the trial you said lasted a little over a half an hour
1: mm-hmm. again <laughs> mm-hmm. again because the confession had already yeah. taken place the only question was really a matter of what the punishment would be mm-hmm. and so and this is a part of of the story that didn't even make it into the book yeah. if you go over to the university of kentucky archives Mm -hmm. at the M.I. King Library. They have the Samuel Wilson papers. Mm -hmm. And the Samuel Wilson was one of Will Lockett's attorneys. The University of Kentucky has Mm -hmm. not yet completed, despite these papers being received decades ago, Mm -hmm. the volumes of papers have not been fully indexed. Mm -hmm. And so there was a college student who reached out to me in December after my manuscript had already been turned in. Mm -hmm. And he said, i've found some things about the will lockett trial you might be interested in i'd never spoken with this this Uh this student before and i said great let's plan to meet in january after you get back from your winter break Mm -hmm. and we did and when i got into the research room at mi king Mm -hmm. he had all the files laid out that that he had discovered and there were documents it would appear that were from the original court record that perhaps mr wilson had removed from the court record at some point because they are not documents that appear in the official court record in frankfurt and don't know why but they were some very interesting documents one was some of these were ones that were referenced in Mm -hmm. the trial or in the news lockett's discharge papers lockett had served as a laborer uh, at camp zachary taylor outside of louisville Mm -hmm. during world war one and received honorable discharge and so that was something that they had introduced into evidence Mm -hmm. well his that those papers were there in mr wilson's files there was a a couple of other pleadings that indicated a motion for a new trial was filed Mm -hmm. and it was that actual motion and the grounds that were the motion was filed upon it was summarily overruled but the most telling item was a report of counsel Mm
0: -hmm. and it was
1: a report by Samuel Wilson and George Hunt, the other attorney who represented Lockett, that had so been appointed. So had he
0: up. had two lawyers. He had
1: two lawyers mm-hmm. that were appointed by Judge Kerr, Charles Kerr, to represent him. Again, you had a right to counsel at trial yeah. under the Kentucky Constitution, mm-hmm. and so he did have he did have counsel. And so these are two attorneys in their report mm-hmm. that was filed and of record,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but removed from the record.
0: That's interesting.
1: Indicated that they had met with him twice prior to trial. Mm-hmm interviewed him discussed defenses discussed consequences of plea Mm -hmm. and and so it really identified a stronger defense perhaps than we really recognize him as having received again they had limited on evidence there was a fatalistic kind of everything did appear to be predetermined as to what was going to happen but he appeared to have had two very well reputable attorneys that were representing him
0: yeah that's something interesting you know working as a librarian, you do hear about this story you know through you know customers that research Mm -hmm. history here i never knew that he had two lawyers and they were reputable and so i had just made the assumption that he was represented by just one lawyer that didn't really know what he was doing or
1: and then to have the two lawyers but also to then see a, a line of by line of, of all these different things that they had done mm-hmm. in this case in representation of, of Will Lockett.
0: At least it, through the resources that they had available to them and the laws that yeah. were available ba- to based them.
1: Based on what was available to yeah. them at that time. Sure, if, if we had had DNA evidence and, and all, the, all the things we have today, <laughs> we, we would have either said Will Lockett is definitively, Will Lockett is guilty mm-hmm. or he is innocent. Yeah. But it we don't have those uh, yeah. to pass along. There, the rock, she was killed with a rock mm-hmm. blunt to the head that rock was introduced at trial. Presumably that rock should be somewhere. So it raises my question would be, where is the rock? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And and does UK have it somewhere? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Or does the police department have it somewhere?
1: According to my sources there, the answer is no. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah, that's interesting about the documents that you found. The trial happened, of course, Mm -hmm. and Will Lockett was found guilty and sentenced essentially to die Mm -hmm. i think the date was set at trial
1: yes so there was a 30-day appeal period that ran and so the earliest that he could be executed without appeal Mm -hmm. was march 11th 1920
0: exactly 30 days exactly Exactly
1: 30 days later and so counsel again examined the ability of appeal Mm -hmm. and what the likelihood of success on appeal would be and determined not to appeal
0: before the guilty verdict was handed over or the jury decided on the sentence there were shots heard mm-hmm. outside the courthouse, and it caused big chaos in, in the courtroom.
1: Yes, so th- it was Samuel Wilson, the attorney, was delivering a statement mm-hmm. that had been written on behalf of and, and by Will Lockett. And it was his plea for mercy, in, in effect, and, and asking for the death penalty not to be enacted, but but instead to have life in prison. Mm-hmm. And so while he was up giving that Soliloquy to the jury, the shots rang out from outside, and there were some rumors exactly who the first shots were fired by, but ultimately in the melee that ensued between the mob that was gathered behind the cable, apparently they had started to surge a little bit at one point and that, that prompted the shots to be fired. Six in the crowd were killed and countless more were, were injured. Yeah. And so both outside the disruption, but then inside the courtroom, obviously people were, were panicking as mm-hmm. well as to what would go on. Folks would have rushed to the windows of what's going on. Mm-hmm. The decorum of the courtroom was restored quickly. But what was interesting is that the jury then was instructed by Judge Kerr not to leave the jury box Mm -hmm. in their deliberations so again adding to the expediency and the quickness of the trial Mm -hmm. was the fact that the jury didn't even leave the room to deliberate
0: when they start to investigate the riot that happened there Mm -hmm. was a lot of rumors flaring about what caused the riot Mm -hmm. to quickly get out of hand Mm -hmm. talk about a camera crew that was out there videotaping uh, what's the story behind that is that true is it
1: yes yeah, so their story is is that there was a news reel operator mm-hmm. that probably would have been standing kind of in front of where 21c is now looking mm. towards the courthouse and so of course and of course that building was standing then as yeah. well and the quote that was reported to have been heard was shake your fists and yell <laughs> And so he apparently was trying to get a good a good film clip for his editors and for his publication. It's uncertain whether those words were actually spoken, mm-hmm. but there certainly were newsreels that were recording the events that took place. Now, that doesn't mean that we have the newsreels. Yeah. The the way that they were recorded in those days, the film was highly flammable, and so a lot of newsreels have been lost over time. There were newspaper accounts in a few communities, Portsmouth, Ohio, Danville, and some other area. Communities that I looked at that showed advertisements for the the news reels. Of course, the news wasn't on the 6 o'clock news. It would have been prior to a feature film Mm -hmm. at a movie theater, and they would have a segment on what's going on Mm -hmm. in the world.
0: So Uh, people would actually have to go to a theater
1: to watch these these reels. And so the, the... Newsreels were shown in these other communities, but they were not shown in Lexington by order of the mayor because they were, again, trying to get emotions to to calm down. They were shown in a limited showing to local authorities in order to determine if there was any value for the trial in the films, anything that that caught anything um, in both the trial of Lockett, but more importantly, the investigation the, the investigation of the grand jury investigation into what started the, the riot, uh, the riot. Okay. and so that was what took place with these films the films today again they could have been lost in fire mm-hmm. i spoke with a gentleman out in california mm-hmm. who is the archivist for Pathé news which is the archival group that has paramount and different real operators from from that day mm-hmm. and like uk They've got a whole lot of unindexed items, so he said, there's no way of telling if it still exists or not so hopefully fingers crossed one day we'll be able to see those films
0: hopefully in our lifetime <laughs> uh, i did check last
1: week and i still couldn't uh, couldn't bring one up
0: but i mean it was mentioned in a lot of uh, newspaper accounts and people's memories that they is. remember
1: they remember the newsreel so mm-hmm. whether he actually said shake your fist and yell at that's yeah. another one you don't know yeah. whether the news members were trying to rile up the, the crowd for for sake of a good uh, a good shot Again, there's no way of of knowing. But it it seems that there were enough tensions in Mm -hmm. the crowd, even without that, that what took place was going to happen. That was the the initial part of the riot, realizing that lawlessness had occurred. Mm -hmm. There was a quick dispatch to the National Guard, and then the federal troops were Mm -hmm. brought in. The National Guard had already been brought in on a request Mm -hmm. for the trial, and that's who was stationed around the courthouse in addition to local authorities. Mm -hmm. But after the trial the federal troops were brought in by train from Camp Zachary Taylor Mm -hmm. outside of Louisville.
0: And was this a request by the governor? By
1: the the governor Morrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Edwin Porch Morrow, who was then the governor Mm -hmm. of Kentucky. He could not request the federal troops, even though they had been asked Mm -hmm. for by local authorities. We were declaring martial law by having federal troops come in. And in order to have martial law, you need to be in a, quote, state of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And so until the exchange of, of fire between the local guardsmen And the rioters, there was no state of lawlessness. But once that took place, Governor Morrow was swift in requesting federal troops Mm -hmm. who were then brought in and Lexington was placed under martial law for for about two weeks until the the grand jury had run its course.
0: And during this time Will Lockett was protected and bundled up and taken to frankfurt or eddyville
1: to eddyville which is where where he was executed
0: so talk to us a little bit about that time during the martial law what i mean what does that mean exactly for the law enforcement here in lexington what kind of jurisdiction did they have
1: so the immediate effect is that local authority is suspended it would be the immediate effect in that the federal authority supplants the local authority It was a lenient version of Mm -hmm. martial law. The civil authorities were still allowed to operate to a great extent during this course, in part because of how effective they were Mm -hmm. up until that point in protecting Locke and in in taking the actions that they took. But for the average citizen, uh, there were checkpoints. There were a few areas uh, around the armory at UK, and those trying to come into the city limits, Mm. that would have been stopped without a permit. This
0: encompassed just the city limits, right? Not like outside of... Right. It was just
1: within the city limits. Mm. And so there were four basically divisions that Lexington was divided into, each with their own Mm. federal troop guard that was in charge of making sure that peace remained in those areas. Mm. Um, And all those troops were over on Stole Field over on UK's campus is mm-hmm. where they were housed. Mm-hmm. They set up tents over there for them to, to stay during that time.
0: What's the history of the martial law? Has that ever been declared at any other city?
1: Uh, it has. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been other instances where martial law has been declared. I'm not sure if it was, it was not the last mm-hmm. time that it occurred, although it was one of the last times in that particular mm-hmm. era. And in fact, General Summerall, who was over the military for the the region, in effect, and he was based out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. He had led some of the orders of different instances of martial law that were based on some of these racial events mm-hmm. in other communities across the country. Yeah. Lexington's chapter, fortunately, was was rather quick and peaceful. Mm-hmm. Once the federal troops came in, bayonets fixed, and they mm-hmm. planted the American flag on the courthouse lawn, there was no further disturbance. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the bayonet was, was pretty convincing, I think, yeah. to everyone. Yeah.
0: Thankfully, at least for that time, a lynch mob was, was prevented, mm-hmm. at least for this specific incident. Kentucky does have a history of, mm-hmm. of lynching and um, wasn't necessarily that it ended all lynching in Kentucky, but for this particular incident, right. it was the law enforcement was successful.
1: The following year in 1921, mm-hmm. there was another lynching that did occur mm-hmm. in Woodford County. Yeah. And uh, between mm-hmm. these events and those events, mm-hmm. the Richland lynching, there was the enactment of certain anti-lynching laws that mm-hmm. Governor Morrow promoted. And those ended up resulting in his removing civil authorities in Woodford County, the jailer among them. Morrow had the authority then to remove mm-hmm. the jailer from office for failing to prevent the lynching because his inmate, his ward, was removed from the jail forcibly and, wow. then, and then lynched. And so it was again another ...that those laws at least were another step designed to move society forward but unfortunately they, they did not stop no. what took place but yes. but at least it, again you, you, a lot of baby steps
0: Yeah, I mean it was 1920, it was 1920. you read the newspaper accounts and it, they always mention that the murderer was a black man or right. even some of the uh, letters of condolences that you had mentioned in the book yeah. they have to mention that he was a black man mm-hmm. unfortunately the racism that that was prevalent at that time Very prevalent. Was, <laughs> was I'm sure a factor into mm-hmm. for the lynch mob so Will Lockett was sentenced to the electric chair? Mm-hmm.
1: The electric chair. It really had only been a few years that the electric chair was in use in Kentucky. At mm-hmm. that point, he was one of the earliest to face the electric chair. Prior to that, mm-hmm. you would have had a public hanging or a private hanging, oftentimes in the county itself. Mm-hmm. Had that been the case, had that still been in effect and and. Lockett had not been escorted out of Lexington Mm -hmm. and to Eddieville, I think the situation could have continued to deteriorate, and we would have had a a much more tragic saga to tell.
0: Her brothers, of course, attended the actual execution. Mm -hmm. I found it interesting that people's, I don't know, this macabre need to... Watch something like that, like the woman that requested the judge to be able to to watch this 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 execution happen.
1: Yeah, there was there was one woman from, and I can't remember where she was from off the top of my. I think head. It was
0: Oklahoma, I, I think or Oklahoma like that, yeah. or Arkansas.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Oklahoma. I think you're right. And she really, really wanted to attend, the, mm-hmm. and and she wrote some letters and telegraphs and all sorts of different things. But uh, the the law was pretty clear as to who was permitted to mm-hmm. attend. And it was not not open,
0: not open to the not public. not open to the public no, whatsoever. Not, no. right?
1: uh, but again, that you know, if you'd gone a few decades before, yeah. you would have had a hanging in mm-hmm. the in the courthouse lawn. Mm-hmm. So while we think about a public execution mm-hmm. or an execution being public mm-hmm. as just sh- shocking, yeah, it, perhaps it wasn't so shocking at that point because we, they were not very far removed yeah. from that being commonplace. Yeah.
0: I found it interesting that before he was sentenced to death or who he was killed I guess I guess you can say with the by the electric chair mm-hmm. he had asked to talk to the warden to mm-hmm. confess a few things will Lockett.
1: so and I'm not sure whether he, he asked or, or or whether there was there seemed to have been some more I don't want to say interrogation but there were mm-hmm. some more questions and some more conversations that were had with will lockett mm-hmm. a, as he spent those those days in Eddyville waiting execution and in that he confessed to four other murders that he had allegedly committed over the preceding couple of decades Mm -hmm. and gave an additional alias of Petrie Kimbrough. He was executed and his death certificate revealed that he he was Will Lockett, Mm -hmm. but he did give this alias of of Petrie Kimbrough, which there are some census records and different, different items that do support that alias as being the name of someone who had been born in Christian County, Kentucky, okay. that timeline would have worked for. So it's possible he may have changed his name at some point along the way to Will Locke. But the, the confession was for these four other crimes mm-hmm. and there was not a whole lot of interest in examining know. and investigating those at that point. There are some who would argue, perhaps, that it was a way just to solve some unsolved crimes. But it would be curious why the warden at the state penitentiary in Eddyville would be interested in solving a crime that occurred in Carmel, Indiana. Some of those items just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. There has been now with the Internet, Mm -hmm. you know, we can see some other news stories we can see some other things that just are a lot easier to find and so there is a little more support now and based off of an article that was contemporaneous that was done by actually by the danville advocate messenger Mm -hmm. that did tie some of the loose ends on these other confessions Mm -hmm. and now we can see a little bit more support that again we don't know if will lockett was the one who committed the crimes Mm -hmm. but that there were corroborating facts that these crimes did occur okay and so for some reason he was able to confess to crimes that did occur Mm -hmm. and who would have known about those was he able to pinpoint
0: like where they happened or
1: when i say corroborating i'm we're not talking 100 percent by any stretch but there's enough that a couple years off and some fuzzy memory and Mm -hmm. some different things there was no real specificity but Mm -hmm. there was enough that it makes you scratch your head, yeah. and not just summarily think one way or the other. There's there's at least a little bit of there's enough to wonder.
0: It is, and there's a lot about this case that makes you wonder. Yeah. Until today, I mean, mm-hmm. there's people that actually question whether Will Lockett right. did the crime or not,
1: and that's a fair question. You know, again, we don't have DNA evidence. Yeah. Um, I but, think
0: I mean the lack of due process, the lack of investigation, mm-hmm. the, the speediness of the trial mm-hmm. does raise a lot of questions it though.
1: It does.: yeah. It does. It raises mm-hmm. a lot of questions. I think we have to look at, at it though, in the fact that this took place in 1920, mm-hmm. and our justice, our technology, mm-hmm. our investigative processes, everything allows for a different kind of examination. and, and our, our societal mores and, and norms mm-hmm. require us to do more and so to supplant all of today's technology and mores and everything on 1920 Mm -hmm. i don't think does does justice Mm -hmm. to to the story or to the facts of what society was in 1920. i like to lean back towards dr king's quote Mm -hmm. that the arc of the moral universe is long Mm -hmm. but it bends towards justice and while there are all of these questions that will continue to circle mm-hmm. about will lockett's guilt or innocence i think the fact that local authorities for the first time ever in the south repelled a lynch mob another attorney in town who who read the book said that the subtitle should have been lexington the town that wouldn't allow a lynching mm-hmm. and there were those baby steps or steps that were taken to further justice mm-hmm. was it justice as we see it today no But without those steps along the way, we might not have made it as far as we are. And certainly we still have a ways to go.
0: Uh, Certainly, certainly. But it was a step towards trying to get rid of the whole lynch mob Mm -hmm. mentality, Mm -hmm. especially in the South in a state like Kentucky and with the history that was there. I really enjoyed reading about Geneva and her family and getting that tidbit into the conversation about the Will Lockett and the subsequent riot that happened and when Lexington was under martial law. <laughs>
1: and I'm excited tonight, which I realize this will be posted in a couple of days, but I'm actually having a talk at South Elkhorn Christian Church. Oh, wow. And when we're recording this episode being the 100th anniversary mm-hmm. of her death, South Elkhorn being the church where I attend, it's also where her funeral was That's held on February 6th, 1920. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be talking there. And
0: does she still have family in the area? or
1: she, she does. And that was where some of the folks that I was able to, to interview okay. and get some of the letters and some of the mementos. Mm-hmm. That, that was so interesting
0: gathered. to me, like the little mementos, like as someone that is so anti-hoarding, <laughs> I find it so Neat when people actually keep and hold on to that thing. When it involves an event like this, you know, you do want to hang on to, you know, whatever memory of the little girl that was. So, and she didn't get to live her life. So these are little, little ways to they are to keep her memory alive.
1: One of the letters I think is really a neat letter and a peculiar letter.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Virginia Plummer from Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. She. She had lost a number of children of her own, and she was probably in her 80s or 90s -hmm. when she sent the letter to Geneva's mother. And the letter was addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Hardman, Mm -hmm. of course, not knowing that Mr. Hardman was eight years deceased. And then you you looked at the letter, and it was typewritten, Mm -hmm. except there were some blanks that were handwritten, and it was a form letter. (laughs) And I was able to confirm that this was a form letter because it's in another book by another author who... This family member had been killed in 1917 or 1919, I can't remember the oh, year, down in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And Remembering Ella is the name of that book. Mm-hmm. And so the author and I corresponded some, and we were exchanging notes. And it was a verbatim letter. So she was oh. sending out this, this letter, reading about children who had been killed mm-hmm. that were showing up in the newspapers mm-hmm. and sending out letters it was her way i guess of grieving or i'm not sure but it was
0: yeah it could be a way of of coping and yeah to reach out to other people that have experienced what she has experienced but yeah i found that letter very interesting
1: the the hardman family received a lot of correspondence but this was the only form letter
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for for coming on this is the second time you've come to the podcast and we really really enjoy having you you're one of our favorite guests
1: thanks always fun
0: Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at eLibrarian at LexPubLib.org. That's eLibrarian at L E X P U B L I B.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.